Thank you for listening to this podcast brought to you by Reach Life Church in Asheville, North Carolina. Our mission is changing life by making, growing, and unleashing gospel-centered disciples of Jesus. For more information, resources, or to connect with us online, visit www.reachlifechurch.org. Now this morning, uh, Caleb, who is the minister of our young adults, he came on about a little over two months ago and has been doing a great job um, getting things organized. Um, Reach Kids is one of the areas that he is overseeing. He's overseeing uh, young adults and bringing, uh, trying to get uh, young adults integrated and serving within the body. And uh, he's doing a great job. And this morning he is going to be bringing us a message from the book of Psalms. So could you guys welcome him and as he's been on here. Well, it is good to be here with you all. I'm very thankful for the privilege of being here today, of getting to preach. I'm thankful for the opportunity that uh, James and Terry are, are giving me and, and being here with you all. And I'm excited to jump into God's Word together this morning. Um, we're going to be in Psalm 11 today, so you want to turn there in your copy of God's Word. And I'd just like to open us up with a word of prayer. So, Father, we thank you for how you care for us. We thank you that you are our rock Lord, that we just sang about that we can, can trust in you, we can put our faith in you and know that you are not going to let us down. I pray that as we look at your word together this morning, Lord, that you would open our eyes, help us to see how good you are, how you fulfill all of our needs and all of our hopes, and how we can run to you and find in you a refuge no matter what's going on, and that we can trust in you. I pray that we would do that in our lives, and that as we do that, we would be a testimony of your grace in our lives and of the gospel of what Jesus has done for us. It's in your name we pray. Amen. So as you're turning there in your copy of God's Word, uh, we're going to be spending most of our time in Psalm 11. There'll be a couple other verses I'll be sharing from this morning, but that's going to be mainly where we look. Um, but as, as we're turning there, as we're getting there, I was thinking about, you know, it is Mother's Day, um, and as I was preparing this week for this, I had story came to my mind when I was younger, um, probably in between about five to eight years old, in which I was at that point in my life very afraid of thunderstorms. Um, if you have kids, maybe they're ex- experiencing that same fear that I experienced. But at that time in my life, I was terrified of them. And we lived in a place that for some reason, it seemed like it was like every other night there were thunderstorms um, out in, in Ohio where we lived. And I tried a lot of different things at that time to, to overcome my fear. I thought, you know, I need to be a man. I was like six. And I was like, I need to be a man. I need to, to just toughen it up. Like, you know, my brother, he's two years younger than me, and he's sleeping sound. So this, I, I need to be stronger. But I would try a lot of things. I would, would bury my head in my pillow. I'd, I'd pull the, the comforters over my head so that I wouldn't, you know, see it, I guess, the lightning and, and hear the thunder. I would, I would try to t- tell myself, it's just noise. That's all it is. It's just noise, uh, even though it's not just noise, obviously. But, um, but I, I would try all these different things to try to bring some comfort to my life. And none of them helped me fall asleep. The only thing that I found that worked pretty much without fail was to go into my parents' room and sleep on the floor next to their bed. Because I perceived in my mind that somehow they were able to keep me safe. Obviously, if you know anything about thunderstorms, you know my parents had no control over that. And they couldn't do anything about it. But what they did is they provided me a a place where I could rest. 
Somewhere that I could go, someone that I could run to that I perceived would keep me safe. Because what are moms and dads for if not to keep you safe from thunderstorms? And so while this is an imperfect example of what we're going to be looking at today, of how God is our refuge, it points to the fact that God provides true safety, not just perceived safety like I had as a child. I thought my parents could keep me safe, but they actually couldn't really do that. But when we run to God as our refuge, we're going to see that, that he can do something about the storms of our life. He can do that, and he is a good refuge to run to. And so I'm, I'm sure as we come here today, all of us are going through various things in our lives. Some of us may have realized that we're just coming out of a storm that God has allowed us to go through. Some of us may be in the middle of some really hard things, some big life change, some things that, that we didn't see coming. And so it's my hope today that as we look at this passage that you're going to see in your circumstances how, how you might be tempted to run away from where God has you, but also how, how good and sure God's refuge is in your life. So as we look at this psalm here today, before we read it, I just want to give you a, a quick little background here. Um, this is a psalm that, that David, who was a, a king in Israel, wrote, and we're not told when he wrote it. We aren't told a lot of background details, but David was a type of person who spent a lot of time on the run. And you would think that's weird, because I said he's a king, right? But before he became a king, the king who was, was currently um, on the throne, Saul, tried to kill him. He didn't want David to take over for him. And even when David became king, he spent some time on the run while reigning as king from one of his sons who was trying to overthrow him. And there, there's a lot of times that in David's life, I'm sure he would have been tempted to run away to look for some safety somewhere else. And so he writes this to us, encouraging us to take refuge in the Lord, understanding for himself what it's like to, to have those fears. And we're going to look at that some more today. But I just want, want to remind us that when David's writing this, there's a connection that he has to understanding what it's like to be on the run and what it's like to be scared. So let's read this. I'm going to read this through together with us this morning uh, from Psalm 11. You can follow along in your copy of God's Word, and then we're going to just break it down kind of verse by verse here. David writes, In the Lord I take refuge. How can you say to my soul, flee like a bird to your mountain? For behold, the wicked bend the bow. They have fitted their arrow to the string to shoot in the dark at the upright in heart. If the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? The Lord is in his holy temple. The Lord's throne is in heaven. His eyes see... His eyelids test the children of man. The Lord tests the righteous, but his soul hates the wicked and the one who loves violence. Let him rain coals on the wicked. Fire and sulfur and a scorching wind shall be the portion of their cup. For the Lord is righteous. He loves righteous deeds. The upright shall behold his face. So we can kind of break this passage up into two sections. First of all, we have in verses 1 through 3 is that David is tempted to flee. And this temptation, it, it likely, or the temptation comes from people um, who are against David, but this, this counsel that David is receiving probably comes from someone who is, is close to David. When he was king, he would have had advisors, he would have had friends, trusted people. This isn't coming from someone who's like, oh, hey, by the way, you're in danger, you should probably run. And he's like, who are you? No, this is, this is coming from somebody who is close to David. And they give David counsel in verse 1 to flee like a bird to your mountain. This counsel to flee literally means to fly away. 
You've seen birds, like whenever you get close to them, they're always flying away. They're going to a tree or somewhere nearby where, where you can't get to them. They, they run away as soon as, as somebody kind of comes near to them. And so David's being warned to, to fly away to his, his mountain or whatever David perceives as his refuge. Similar to when I was, was a child, I would try to, try to go to wherever I thought would, would keep me safe, whatever I thought would help me. But David's already clued us in, even if you only are reading the first three verses here, he's already clued us in in verse one of, of where his mountain is or his refuge. He opens with his refusal of this proposal that his counsel is giving him, stating that it's in the Lord that he takes his refuge. Therefore, he asks a rhetorical question, kind of saying, how can you even say that? See, in verse 1, he says, how can you say to my soul to run away? Because he already knows where his refuge is, and it's in God. God's David's refuge. He's his safe place. When my daughter Kennedy, when she gets hurt or she feels sad, she, she runs to us as her parents. She doesn't come to any of you. No offense. You may have noticed that about her. She tends to be a little, I want my parents. And recently, uh, this week, I've started making these green smoothies with like spinach and all this stuff and whatever, but I have to use the blender for it. And Kennedy does not like that sound at all. She's, she's scared of it. She's scared of that, the vacuum, anything that kind of makes that loud sound, she's scared of. But you know what's interesting about that? Whether it's because she wants a sip of the green smoothie or not, she runs to me, grabs hold of my hand while I am the one causing the sound that she's scared of. Because she knows, even though she doesn't quite understand that my dad is causing this sound, she understands that dads, dads can keep me safe. There's comfort there. And so just like God is for David, you know, I am, a, a, in a sense, a refuge for Kennedy. She perceives that this is, this is my safe place. And so David, he said, I'm going to run to God because I know that he's going to keep me safe. And just as I hope that you are to your children, we are a refuge to our, our children in a sense. Imaging sort of that refuge that, that God is to us. There's safety, there's comfort that, that Kennedy feels and experiences in Jenna and me. And that is also what David has felt and experienced with God, that, that safety and that comfort. Now, it might be easy for us to think, because sometimes we take Bible characters and we put them on a, on a pedestal up here, and we forget that they're regular people like you and I. And so it might be easy to look at this and to say that, oh, this was an easy decision for David. He, he knew all along, no problem, that somebody said, David, you're in danger, and he got, no problem, God's got it. And maybe that was his response, but I also think that, as I touched on earlier, this temptation would have hit a, a very sensitive spot for somebody who's been on the run before, who knows what that's like, who, who might shake in his boots to think about having to go back to that. The trauma of David's past of being on the run certainly, I think, would have affected his temptation of, of being involved in that. We think about how maybe some past experience affect our lives. For instance, if you get a kidney stone once, you're pretty careful to drink lots of fluid, lots of water. You get a cavity once, you should be very careful to floss and to brush your teeth well. Or if you get scammed by someone buying something online, you're a lot more wary of, of who is, is doing what, what, what seems suspicious, even if it's a, a genuine person looking to buy something. 
And some of you, most of you, I would say, probably don't know this, but I actually am going through a process right now, a dental procedure, where I'm getting a tooth implant. I'm actually missing one of my teeth. Um, and when I was getting the implant put in, um, this is going to freak you all out for going to the dentist, I'm sure. But when they gave me Novocaine, it didn't last the whole time. And so at the very end of the process, they sew you all back up together. And I felt too much of that. To the point that for me mentally to think about having to do that again, there is, there is a very big uh, hesitancy that I would have in wanting to go back and get another implant done if I should need one in the future. My experience there affected how I view going back to that. And so in the, in the same way, David, who he's been on the run before, he knows how bad it is, could be very reluctant to want to, to do that again. And so this is a hard decision for him. It's also a hard decision because this warning that is given to David is not just, it, it's not just kind of, oh, there might be something. It makes sense. There's some credibility to this warning. The wicked are described as being ready and the danger imminent. You see there in verse 2, it says, the, the wicked bend the bow. They have fitted the arrow to the string to shoot in the dark at the upright in heart. That first part there, I don't know a lot about archery, I'll admit that, but I do know that you don't pull back the bow to just sit and chill and wait for something to come along to shoot at. You pull it back when you're ready. You take aim and you fire because you can't hold that tension that long. It just Your aim's gonna, gonna be off. And so when the wicked are described as this in the warning, it would, it would resonate with David that they're not just thinking about coming after you. They're ready and in fact, it's pretty much almost on the way. So it makes sense. The, the, the wicked, they're ready. They're coming at you. And it also says that David's counsel says that they're ready to shoot in the dark at the upright in heart. Now, this, we need to clarify this because we have a modern phrase that says, we call it a shot in the dark, right? You've heard that before? Okay, and what it means is that there's a very small likelihood of something happening. We watch a show, Survivor, and one of the new twists that they've introduced in the past two seasons is this shot in the dark that contestants can play, where if they don't feel safe, they have a one in six chance of getting safety for the next vote. One in six is not very good odds. Okay, that's not what David's counsel is saying here, that there's a one in six chance that the wicked might be coming for you. Rather, they're describing this as it's coming under the secrecy of the dark. You're, it's coming you're probably not going to see it, and it might already be too late to run. So the threat's real in David's life. And if we think about this in our life, there's a lot of times where, where we can't always see what's coming for us. We can't always see what's coming next. In fact, we rarely can see what's coming next. But as we think about it, even in, as I was thinking about, about an example of this in our life, is, is all of the, the pandemic with COVID that hit in 2020. Raise your hand if you saw that coming, right? But we, we had no idea what it was going to do and what its continued effects were going to be. And yet, how good is it for us as believers to have God as our refuge in that? And yes, we all struggle with it in different ways. But I know for Jenna and I, what we kept coming back to was that God has to be our source of comfort and hope. Not any, not any perce perception of health, not any man-made uh, structure that tried to provide refuge that only God could. It was only in God that we could hope because 
Nothing else satisfied. And so David, he, he doesn't go into detail about what this threat is, but it's real. And yet he says, my only hope is, is found in God. He alone is my refuge. And the counselor that is warning David doesn't understand that. In verse 3, they say that if, if the foundations are destroyed, what, what are you going to do? Not understanding that foundation of God's refuge can't be destroyed. And that's why God is, is so good of a refuge. Now, this temptation, I'm, I touched on this, but it's not unique to David. We, like David, quite often are tempted to flee from the place where God has us. When we look at culture around us, it's clear that many are not living for God, and they're engaged in sinful and destructive behavior. So I want to look at some ways today, and prepare to get your toes stepped on, that we might be tempted to respond to, to the evil in the world around us, ways that we might be tempted to flee from where God has us. First way that you might be tempted to flee is that some people are what we might call spiritual survivalists. They physically move away from civilization, live off the grid, trying to get away from a world that is falling apart. The problem with this response is that you can't be a light to the world if you're cut off. Jesus says in Matthew 5, 14, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Think of an extreme example, a non-Christian example of this, but an extreme example is, is those who are Amish, who don't use electricity, they don't use cars, cell phones, other inventions. They live very simple, largely isolated lives. They're physically removed from culture and, and seek to live lives that are they're unaffected by the beliefs or by, by the outside world. We, uh, Jenna and I moved here actually from a place that had a heavy Amish influence, and you would see them a lot of times kind of going in their buggies, doing their own thing, right? That's, that's kind of you're isolating yourself from the world. Now, you may say, Caleb, I don't do that. I know for a fact I don't do that. You know, look at me. I'm, I'm here. I have a cell phone. You know, I, I use the internet. That's not me. All right. Well, next, maybe a way you're tempted is to isolate yourself culturally. Okay? And what I mean by this is that you might live in neighborhoods with other people, but you maintain a separate cultural identity. People who, who might be tempted to flee in this, they might reject changes in culture that have nothing to do with godliness or the gospel. Anything new is guilty by association in their minds. And the only way to stay pure and safe from the evil in the world is to just do things as they've always been done. An example of this might be those who say that you have to wear a suit and tie to preach. I hope that's not the case. Or maybe you might say, ministry has to be done the way it's always been done. This is how we've always done it here at Reach Live, so we got to keep doing it that way because anything new, that's probably going to be sin. Okay, that's, that's isolating ourselves culturally. And when we do this, we're, we're failing to engage in relevant ways with the culture around us. Not changing the gospel, the gospel doesn't change, but engaging with the culture in a way that, that connects with them, that helps connect them with what Jesus has done for them. That's not you. Maybe you find that you're tempted to isolate emotionally. Stop caring for the world around you. People who might struggle with this might adopt the attitude of, serves them right. They're getting what they deserve. But when we do this, we forget that the gospel is not about getting what we deserve. And that 
As Jesus says also in Matthew 5, 7, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. This can't be an option for those of us who have received the grace of God. Another way we might be tempted to flee is through nostalgia. People who might struggle with this might live in a photoshopped picture of the past, a.k.a. the good old days, where they see America is a Christian nation that loved God and did what was right and had things go well for them, ignoring so many problems such as slavery, the trail of tears, civil war, diseases, financial crisis, and the list goes on. The problem with wishing things would get back to the way they were is that for us as believers, we know that things since the fall have not been the way that they should be. The, the world has been, has been wicked and full of evil in David's day, in the 1950s, and it is today. That shouldn't make us just throw our hands up and say, well, can't do anything about it. But it also means we shouldn't live with the mindset of, oh, if only things could just get back to the way they were. If only things could get back to when, when we first planted Reach Life or, or whatever it might be. If only thing, if we could just get back to that. And we're, we're, we're fleeing through nostalgia of saying, if only things could be like this. We're not living where God has put us and has equipped us to serve in this day and age. So we can't afford to live in the past if we're going to be doing what God wants us to do. Finally, instead of fleeing, we might be tempted to simply give in to what the culture is pressuring us to give in to, to the evil in the world. This type of fleeing, it embraces the evil and sinful thinking. It affirms the wrong behaviors and decisions in order to avoid potential harm and danger. So see, it's still fleeing, even though you're saying, all right, fine, that's, we'll do it your way. None of these options should be options for us who have known and experienced the grace of God in our lives. Because responding in these ways implies that we think that God is not able to protect us, and they prevent us from doing what we are commissioned by God to do, to be ministers of grace, hope, and truth, and to glorify God. So we can't flee. It can't be an option for us. We need to be like David and run to the Lord. And so we see then, in verses 4 through 7, that David does indeed find his refuge in the Lord. And he's going to explain kind of what are, what are some of the reasons that he takes refuge in the Lord. And he, he understands, first of all, that his foundation and his refuge is found in the rule of God. You see in verse 4, it says that the Lord is in his holy temple. The Lord's throne is in heaven. God is on the throne. No, no worldly leader is on the throne. God is on the throne. Nothing can shake that foundation. David's counsel misunderstood that. They thought that somehow if David was attacked and David fell, that all that what God is doing would crumble. But David said, no, God is on the throne. He's the one in control, not anybody else. So his foundation is found, first of all, in the fact that God is on the throne Second of all, his foundation and refuge is found in the seeing eyes of God. That God sees what is going on. Proverbs 15.3 says that the eyes of the Lord are in every place, keeping watch on the evil and the good. Isn't that amazing? Isn't it awesome to know that, that God is not like a parent who says they have eyes in the back of their head? 
but actually have no idea who hit who first. God sees. He knows what you're going through. He knows what people are doing to you that is unfair and is wrong. He's not caught off guard. He knows what's going on. And remember, number one, God is on the throne. So God's in charge. God sees. And third, David finds refuge in the fact that God can do something and is going to do something about what is going on. God judges justly. He's going to punish the wicked according to their evil deeds. Verses 5 through 6 remind us of that. This is what enables us then to live, as Paul reminds us in Romans 12, 17 through 19, where he says, Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. In verse 18, he says, If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. We can entrust our circumstances to God, knowing that he is on the throne, he sees what's going on, he knows every detail, and he is going to do something about it. So We don't need to take matters into our hands and say, i got to make this right, they need to apologize, this isn't fair. We can let God take care of that. I hope that's comforting to you. I know it is for me. But David also, he recognizes here in verse 4 that, that God sometimes does allow tough circumstances to come into the believer's lives in order to test them. 1 Peter 1, 6-7, Peter writes, he says, In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. God allows things, storms in our life to happen, to, to test us, to grow us, and for us to bring glory to him. I was at a conference recently called Together for the Gospel down in Louisville, Kentucky, and one of the speakers was talking about Paul's last words to Timothy, talking about, about suffering. And the speaker, his name's Shai Lin, he said, suffering has a way of intensifying our natural tendency to forget God. I'm sure David could feel that and resonate with that. It's so easy to take our eyes off of God and fix them on whoever is causing the suffering or whatever we are suffering from. Like Peter in the storm, we are tempted to take our eyes off of Jesus and find ourselves drowning in our circumstances. We need to be exhorted to remember Jesus Christ. And he says this, and I, I love this. Christianity is like amnesia and deja vu. I know I've forgotten this before right? How many times when we're going through trials, we're going through things that God is using to test us, do we, do we realize, I'm forgetting. I'm forgetting who God is, and I, I know I've been here before. <laughs> I've forgotten this before. It, it's a cycle, and God uses that to grow us. And so David is, is not saying that all of this is just, oh, it's just evil people, and God needs to deal with them. He says that sometimes God does allow us to go through things to test us, to grow us, and that when that suffering comes, we need to remember that that suffering, 
so easily takes our focus off of God when it's designed to put our focus on God. And so David, he doesn't forget God. He recognizes the truth. He reminds himself of that, and he runs to God. However, in the life of the wicked, things aren't going to be so good. God is going to bring about swift judgment if they continue to live in unrepentant sin. God's soul hates evil and sin. He cannot tolerate it. Therefore, those who love and practice it are going to face judgment. And David lists here that coals, fire, sulfur, and a scorching wind are going to be their reward for their evil behavior if they choose to not repent. So David, he finds refuge in this, that God is on the throne, that God sees, and that God can and is going to do something about it. And lastly, David finds refuge in the promised reward of the righteous who stand firm, who don't flee, and don't compromise their faith. Their reward is beholding the face of God. Verse 7 says, For the Lord is righteous, he loves righteous deeds, and the upright shall behold his face. This is the greatest reward for those of us who know Jesus as our Savior. And I know, I know many of us who have lost loved ones and those who I've spoken to, a lot of times we are comforted by the, the thought of seeing somebody that we know knew the Lord in heaven. Whether it's a grandparent, a sibling, a parent, a child, we are comforted by that thought of when we get to heaven, I'm going to see so-and-so. But really, what, what we are longing for, what we are hoping for, and who we are hoping to see the most is Jesus. Because in heaven, he is going to be what truly matters. And that's hard to understand. That's hard to really grasp. But when we're in heaven, Jesus is going to be the one in whom our joy is truly found. So you think of, of, of all the things, that, all the ways that you hope for, to, to find peace, to security, love, happiness, all that is found in Jesus. That's what your soul and my soul needs. And I'm not saying it won't be great to be united with all the believers, to sing in all the different languages, to worship our God better than we could ever worship here on stage or in this building. But what is really going to matter for us, where there is no greater reward than this than to stand before our God and to see Jesus face to face. So where does this leave us today? What do we do about this? What, what are some ways that we can take this and apply this in our life? Well, for starters, in our discussion on ways in which we're tempted to flee, maybe you felt like, hey, you kind of were stepping on my toes there. Maybe you resonated with one of those, those ways in which we are tempted to flee when we're faced with sinful culture around us. Maybe you need to repent and turn from fleeing and find ways to engage the culture around you and look for opportunities to share the gospel and the hope of Christ. Maybe you need a reminder to stay the course. Maybe you're going through some, some really tough circumstances, and you need that reminder to, to stand firm like David, to run to Jesus, and to find in him all that your soul desires. Like David, you can remind yourself that God is ruling, he's on the throne, he sees, and he will judge and he will reward those who follow him. Or maybe you're here today and you have no idea why David would stand up for his faith. Why in the world would he risk everything to, to run to God? Maybe you haven't met Christ as your Savior. You haven't experienced that hope and that joy that only he can provide. 
and you've been running like I was as a child to things that can't satisfy, the things that can't provide refuge and rest. My hope is if that's you and you want to do something about it, let's talk. Make today the day where you run to Jesus, where you surrender your life to him and find in him all the joy and peace that your soul needs. I'd love to talk with you after the service. I know James and Terry wouldn't. Any of us here would love to talk to you if that's you and you want to know how can you find Jesus as your refuge? How can you give your life to him and, and find in him all that your soul needs? For the rest of us here, let's remember to be on guard, knowing that we're under attack as believers. Let's be engaged with the loss and hurting around us. Let's not be aloof and uncaring. Say, well, serves them right. They're not doing what they're supposed to, so that's what happens. Let's care about their needs. Let's care about them. Let's meet them where they're at. And lastly, let's be resolutely set on the hope before us, which is the day we will see Jesus face to face. There's going to be no more pain, no more suffering, no more storms, no more trials, and where all that we long for and hope for will be found in him. I want to end with a quote from an article that I was reading uh, this week on Desiring God um, by a pastor named Josh Philpot. He writes this. He says, May we celebrate Sunday as a day of refuge in God instead of in self-reliance. As we enter God's presence with other believers, let's reflect that God sees and tests the righteous. Just read that. Let's give thanks that when God is our refuge, he both redeems us from our sin and equips us to display righteous deeds. May our worship always reflect how beautiful and awesome God is and how much we need his mercy and grace in Christ. In the end, a congregation devoted to refuge in God and his word stands and sings on a firm foundation. By doing so, quoting from Psalm 11, the upright shall behold his face. This is the Christian hope, seeing the face of God. But how? Now we see the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ, 2 Corinthians 4, 6. A gracious God provides a way for restoration and new life in the righteousness of Christ for us. In him, we take refuge. Let's take refuge in God. Let's run to him no matter what's going on because we need to remember that he is the only one that can do anything about what we are going through. He's the only one who, who can help us, who can provide safety and rest. Nothing else can satisfy. I want to just close in prayer here, then have James come up and lead us in, in the Lord's Supper this morning. So Father, we thank you for how you are so good and how we can run to you. We thank you that you are our refuge in the storms of life and may we run to you, God. May we find in you all that our soul longs for and needs. It's in your name we pray. Amen.